Well, this is the last in our uh, mini-series called the, the Kingdom of God Is. We've been talking about what it's like to be living in the Kingdom of God. And um, this, uh, this title this morning is The Kingdom of God is Not for Religious People. Last week, the kingdom of God is not for adults. This week, the kingdom of God is not for religious people. So if you're an irreligious, immature person, this is it. This is for you. The kingdom of God is not for religious people. And I get that from a text in Matthew. I'd love to have you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and following. This is the Sermon on the Mount, part of Jesus' teaching. And Jesus mentions something about the kingdom of God, about the kingdom of heaven in here. And here's the context. We'll back it up a couple of verses. He mentions the kingdom of heaven twice in this paragraph. Matthew 5, 17 and following. If you did bring a Bible or you have an electronic Bible or you want to use the one on the seat in front of you, that'd be helpful today. We're going to go back and forth to the scriptures and it may not be able to be on the screen for you. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think, Jesus said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Oh, I love it. I see some of you turning. I'm just going to wait for my friends to get their Bibles. That's awesome. Pitter-patter goes my heart when you turn in the Bible or when you scroll. <laughs> Matthew 5:17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Okay, everybody ahead in the game. Is your comprehension bad? It's, my comprehension's bad. When somebody reads, it's just hard. All right, here we go. I've not come to abolish, Jesus said. Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from that law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not even enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, for I tell you, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the super-religious people, the religionists, the experts in religion, unless your righteousness goes beyond that, you're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven. That's a dramatic and strong statement here in the word of the Lord. That's Jesus' teaching. This is where this passage is pretty intense. You're like, unless my righteousness, unless my righteousness, unless the way that I live this righteousness Unless my righteousness surpasses, goes beyond crazy religious people, like intense religious people, like the experts, like the top of the heap religious people, unless my righteousness is more than that, I won't even get into the kingdom of heaven. This is wild. This teaching makes us go, oh boy, okay, I'm in serious trouble. This is also the kind of teaching that that gets us into the place of of the jokes about St. Peter. I spent... 10% of my sermon prep time looking at jokes on the internet about St. Peter and the pearly gates. Trust me, it is not worth it. I was going to try to find a funny one to tell you, for example, they were so bad that I didn't even bother. It's just, but you know the joke that that, that St. Peter's up there and he's guarding the gate, right? 
See, it's not so funny when you start realizing how misinformed we are about what Christianity really is. But th- this is what gives rise to it. This thought of my righteousness has to surpass that of experts in religion. Oh, I don't think I'm going to make it. Well, we have St. Peter at the gate, and people come up to him, and he goes, all right, tell me why I ought to let you in. And then hilarity ensues, right? That's the whole joke, of the St. The Saint Peter joke thing. Like, he's there to say, okay, you're going to have to answer a question, or you're going to have to pass a quiz, or what about this in your life, or how many times have you done that? This is the kind of joke that's out there. This is the kind of understanding, but it's actually creeped into our, the way that we live in terms of understanding of God, and so that when we hear this text, we go, yeah, how does my righteousness surpass that of the kingdom? I don't think I'm getting in. I think I'm going to get up there, and maybe it's not St. Peter at the pearly gates, but whatever it is, I'm going to be like, uh, I don't think I'm measuring up. There's this kind of unfunny, commonly held misunderstanding of Christianity that we have to measure up and be righteous enough to get into the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that? There's this misunderstanding that Christianity is about we're going to have to measure up, be righteous enough to get into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus gives this cryptic teaching that goes, your righteousness is going to have to be even beyond the experts. It's like Jesus saying, if you want to play the game of comparing your righteousness to other people's righteousness and then maybe think that that's going to be the thing that's going to get you in, you're totally off track. Did did you follow with my logic? We do that all the time. It's sort of like we kind of look at our lives and we go, I must be doing okay because that family's a mess. I must be doing okay spiritually because that guy is a mess. And we play this game. But Jesus is saying, except if you're really talking about righteousness, your righteousness is going to have to be of such a kind that it goes beyond the experts in righteousness, beyond the experts of religion, then you're not even going to get in. That's how big it has to be. I've shared this illustration with you before. I think about it all the time. You want to play the comparison game? You know how Ben and I joke all the time about running? We always joking about, we're always, we're sending each other's texts about the different runs that we do and stuff. I got a picture of Ben. This is him running the Ragnar. He's so proud of it. This is him in the middle of the night running some seven mile leg in the middle of the night with a bunch of hardcores or whatever, right? So Ben's a big time runner and, you know, he posts on Facebook his medals for his, you know, his, uh, his marathons and stuff like that. But we're always like shooting back and forth going, really? No way. I got you. I'm going to kick your tail. And, you know, we do all this kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, of course, Ben, uh, Ben had a little mishap. So, um, that's a problem. <laughs> but when we joke about uh, go running back and forth, in fact, he, he broke his kneecap. Have you seen the picture of that? Let's just show that again. Oh, you wimp. Is that kneecap in two pieces? Come on, you sissy. And, um, but we always, we're always comparing each other. We're always messing around about running, and we're like, you know, doing the, the jabs at one another, and it's kind of this, it's fun because we love each other, but it's kind of a one-man upness thing, like, well, okay, well, I'm in decent shape because Ben right now is not running at all, so I'm in pretty good shape, and, and he's like, okay, well, if I'm running, look at if Jeff went out and did seven yesterday, and, and his wife did seven, then that, and I'm going to do, so I'm going to go out and do seven, so here he is limping way beyond his doctor's orders to do seven because I did seven. We have this thing, but we always laugh about it, and I think, I remember sharing this before, is that whenever we laugh about all this thing, then we realize that Wim Van Dam's here. Do you know Wim Van Dam? If you want to talk about comparing yourself to one another, I'm like, I did seven. Ben's like, my knee's broken. I did seven. And Wim's like, I did seven before you guys got out of bed this morning on my way to doing 50. Wim is an ultra marathoner. That's Wim right there. That's a 100K race. And you can see the mountain. Wim ran 62 miles on that day in that terrain. And he's smiling. That's what I want you to notice about the whole thing. We are always joking around. I just stole that right off your Facebook page. Is that a little creepy, Wim, that I got that? Um, (laughs) You want to play the comparison game, you can go, well, I'm like this, or I'm doing that, I'm doing this, and then we go, yeah, but Wim's in the house. 
You want to play the comparison game, you want to play the religious comparison game, the reality is going to be that if you want to talk about whether you're righteous enough, you're going to have to be more righteous than the most righteous. So Jesus' teaching is this can't possibly be a comparison game. It has to be a true righteousness in his definition. And we're going to want to look and see what that's about. But first I want to walk you through the text that, that Jesus is teaching so that you can understand some of the context before we even get to verse 20. Look at the text of what um, Jesus has taught. Verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Do not think I have come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish the law. I'm going to fulfill it. Do not think, he says, it may be because some people were starting to think that maybe he was going to abolish the law. He was going to get rid of the Old Testament. He was going to take all the law and all the regulations. He was going to throw them away. He may have started, already said and did some things by this time that made them think that was the case. In fact, he kind of did some of that. And you can go study some of those. It's fascinating to see how Jesus interacted with the law. But he says, I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. What's the law? What's the prophets? For them, friends, that equals the whole Old Testament. What it means is Jesus said this whole part of the book, this whole Old Testament in here, this, all this stuff about righteous living, about all the rules and regulations and Levitical laws and all that kind of stuff, all of this stuff in here, he goes, I'm not going to throw that out. This whole thing, he says, and here's why, he says, it's the story of God, and I'm not getting rid of it. I'm not going to throw it out. I'm going to fulfill it. I'm going to make you, I'm going to make it about me. I'm going to have you understand that it is about me. So Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish or rewrite the story of God. I've come to fulfill it. I am the fulfillment of the whole story of God. Verse 17, says that I am the fulfillment of the whole story of God. Let's just keep that summary page, Judson, on, that, on the screen behind us, and we'll leave that up. People can look in their own Bibles. I'm the fulfillment of the whole story of God. It's the first thing he's saying. Secondly, for truly I tell you, uh, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So none of this story, he says, is going away until all of the story is accomplished. God is in the middle of a story here. God's doing something in a story, and all that God wants to do is fulfilled in me, he said, and it's going to happen. Here's what his point is. This story and all that God has purposes, purposed cannot be stopped. I'm the fulfillment of this whole story of God, and this story is going to be fulfilled in me, and he's going to have his way, and we're right in the middle of it, and it cannot be stopped. I'm going to be at the center of it. This story is still unfolding, and it's about me. This is Jesus' teaching. And then he goes on to say, therefore, if anyone sets aside one of these least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly, he's going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So while Jesus said those two things, I'm the whole story of God, I'm the fulfillment of it, and this thing's going to be, going to be fulfilled, then Jesus goes on to say, so get, in your, get your head in the game. It matters how you live out that story. Your righteousness matters. This is where Jesus is going. It matters how you participate in this story. Your righteous living is going to matter how you live out the story of the kingdom of God. And that's the setup until he gets to verse 20 when he says, so you want to know what true righteousness is? It's righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees and the kingdom of the law. Living it out, I mean kingdom of heaven. Living it out is about living it in true 
righteousness. It's about true righteousness. There must be some different form of righteousness since they were the ultra-marathoners of religion. Then our righteousness must be some form that is different than their religious living. There must be some different form of, of righteousness. So apparently the kingdom of God is not for religious people. But righteous living is required. Our righteousness is expected of us, and it cannot be simply we've gotten to a place where I'm good enough to now get let in by Peter at the gate. There's some other truth. There's some true righteousness. So what is true righteousness? What's the true righteousness of the kingdom? Number one, it's a righteousness, as we've already seen, that surpasses that of religious people. It's the righteousness that surpasses that. It goes beyond religious people. It goes beyond religion. The Pharisees' friends were an easy target. Because at worst, they were hypocritical, and they were kind of spiritually abusive, and Jesus had some harsh things to those people who were hypocrites. So these religious people, these Pharisees, they're an easy target for us. But here's the convicting reality. We are so much like them. In fact, you could argue, as you study who the Pharisees were, they sort of came about a couple hundred years before Jesus, had their heyday during Jesus' time and just afterward. You could argue they were actually the new Pharisees. Here's why. They were a fired-up renewal movement of, people, of guys, and get, I mean, they were men, leaders, ready to get after it for God. That's, what, that's who they were. That's who we are. It was like they were evangelical Protestants. It's like they were guys who said, hey, listen, you know what, Israel? If this is God's story, we got to get after living in God's story. If this is God's word and God's truth, we got to get after being obedient to it. Hey, if this thing is right, then it's worth doing right, like it's worth giving our whole lives to. That's us, friends. Doesn't that sound like our church? This is a renewal movement. These are people who said, hey, Israel, your religion is dying. Your faith is dying. Your experience with a living God who, has, who, who, who says it matters how you live, your experience is dead. Get up, man. Wake up. Let's do this thing. That's who the Pharisees were. I love those guys. <laughs> That's like us. And like us, though, they got so focused on doing it right that at their worst, they got lost in the details. They got lost in the details. The mysteries of God and the beauty of God and the power of God and the grace of God and the love of God got reduced. It got reduced to they had answers for everything. It got reduced. Listen, the mystery of God and the greatness of God and the glory of God and the, the grace and all the goodness, it got reduced to little answers for little parts of their little lives. Because they needed an answer for everything. Hey, I don't know where you weighed in on the craziness with Starbucks last week. But the glory and the mystery of God sending his son incarnate on the earth to rescue the earth and to bring justice and to have people understand the saving knowledge of Jesus, that's glorious and big and beautiful. And I think some people have gotten lost into the little bitty small parts of the story. Our God has been reduced and our gospel has been reduced to small parts of very small lives. The Pharisees... They were renewal movement, but they lost it in the details. And then at their worst, they became merely religious 
people a lot of do's and don'ts in their world, a lot of ritual, a lot of obligation. They were preoccupied with winning small battles. They were preoccupied with looking righteous. They were preoccupied with putting burdens on what other people should or shouldn't do even when they weren't applying to themselves the rigid task anymore of living righteously. Jesus said, listen, you give a tenth of this, you do that sacrifice, you obey that law, but your hearts are far from me. That's us at our worst. What's true righteousness? It's a righteousness that goes beyond the religionists. That's just the start of our understanding of it. And maybe at this point we should define what righteousness is, friends. Righteousness, very specific. It's right standing and right living. It's right standing with God, that we're in right standing with God. When we're oriented correctly to who God is as our king and our savior and our sovereign God, then we are in right standing with God. We're righteousness. And when we live right, if we are obedient to his will, if we live according to his teaching, his heart, his desire, his leadership, then we're living right. Right standing, right living. That's what righteousness means. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is accessible to you if your righteousness goes beyond religionists. It's about right standing and right living. So two more definitions about what true righteousness is, and they're with regard to those two things. First, righteous, it's the second point, righteousness This is what's required, a righteousness acquired by receiving Jesus. A righteousness that is acquired by receiving Jesus. This is righteousness that surpasses the the teachers of the law. This is true righteousness that God would require. It's a righteousness that is acquired by our receiving Jesus. See, you guys, this is the good news of Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel, that our righteousness is about right standing with God, and God, through Jesus, has made us right. He has justified us through what Jesus did on the cross. So our standing with God is right. Once we were a people in sin, lost, without hope, without forgiveness, and once Jesus died on the cross and we said yes to that gift, then he has made us right with God, and our sin has been justified. All our debt has been canceled. He has taken it away. It says nailing it to the cross. So we're right with God, all the way right. Can you see how this righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees? He's like, it's not Jeff. It's not Ben. It's not Wim. It's not the Pharisees. It's perfection because the perfection of Jesus has been put over us because of what he did on the cross. That's the good news. So we've been made perfect in Christ. Now this prompts some thinking, doesn't it? It prompts the question, well, why do I feel like i got to work so hard? And why am I wondering if Peter's going to accept me and let me in to the gate? I'm perfect. If there actually was St. Peter at actual gate, the answer when you got there would be, I'm perfect. And he'd be like, I know, up high. Right? A righteousness that is acquired by us receiving Jesus. It has been imputed to us, a good theological word, by the perfect lamb who has taken away the sin of the world. This is how he has fulfilled the law and the prophets. 
This is how he is the fulfiller of this whole redemptive story because in his death, all that the prophets talked about has come true. And in his teaching as one who has set us all free from sin and death, then all of the Old Testament teaching comes to its fullest understanding, doesn't it? Oh, we've been made clean. A righteousness acquired by us receiving Jesus. This is what a couple of these verses in the New Testament that you've probably seen before mean. Galatians chapter 3, I'm sorry, I didn't put it on the screen. Listen to this. So the law was put in charge. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. This is how we go beyond obedience to the law. The law has led us to Jesus who has then justified us and made us perfect, whether we are perfectly moral or not. Romans 10 verse 4 says, Christ is at the end of the law so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. Okay. What's the true righteousness that God's talking about? What is the righteousness that God requires? What is, we're like, okay, i got to be righteous. My righteousness has got to surpass that of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. What, what's, what's the true righteousness? It's at the end of the law. True righteousness is given to us. It's acquired by receiving what Jesus has done. Our righteousness surpasses religionists because we're perfected. We're in a perfectly right standard with God. And that requires us to be born again. That requires us to get off of the attempt to be righteous enough train and to get on the free gift by God's grace through faith in Christ's train. That's what being born again is. I'm off that train. I'm going to receive perfect standing with God as a free gift. That's why it says you won't enter the kingdom of God unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. You can't. Because if your righteousness is in competition with trying to be morally good enough, you're missing the kingdom. The kingdom only comes by receiving the free gift of salvation. So it requires being born again. Do you live that way? Even those of you that have become born again, even though those of you that have gotten on the train and received the gift of Jesus, do you live like you're perfected in Christ? And that all the Father offers is freely accessible to you? Do we live that way? Do we live out of this freedom that I'm righteous enough, so now I walk with God? Or are we religionists? Do we judge ourselves and others by how we're doing Jesus goes, you've got to go way beyond that. You've got to go way into the good news. And live as people redeemed and in right standing all the time. So our prayers should be about, thank you, God. Oh, thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Let me, thank you, God, for your mercy. God, I want to love you the way you've loved me. Thank you, God, for putting this freedom on my life that I'm good enough I am perfect in you. Thank you, God. How do I repay you with my life? That's what our prayer life looks like. True righteousness is a righteousness that surpasses the religious people. It's acquired by receiving Jesus. That's right, standing with God. Third, a righteousness is, this is what's required. It's, it's a righteousness that is acquired by walking with Jesus or walking in Jesus. This is how this is right living. This is the kind of righteousness that's about right living. 
it's the righteousness that God required is a righteousness that we, that, that we find by walking with Jesus because he guides us into right living. He guides us into all righteousness, the scriptures says. And so a righteous life unfolds day by day in this love, appreciative, grateful relationship with the God who has given us right standing. So now we say, I love you, God. Now guide me into right living for you today. And right living then, friends, isn't just about the easy moral choices of hate or love or, you know, it's just not, it's not about that. Of course, we're going to know the right things to do there. And by God's grace, we attempt to do them. And when we fail, we're like, good thing I'm perfect. That's how that works. But right living, being guided into right living, that's a righteousness that's about walking with a living God who inside of us goes, now let's get into the nitty gritty. I always joke about the fact that if I'm going to have a difficult time in my marriage, I look up, there's not that much about marriage in the scriptures, friends. And my, I look, I've looked for Linda's name, how to love Linda when she's, being a, when she's being a brat. I've looked for that in the concordance. I've looked up brat, I've looked up Linda, and none, it's, neither of them are in there. So what I need, friends, is not a law by which I can say, well, let me judge that. <laughs> I'm definitely a better husband than Terry is to Gail, so I'm good. <laughs> That's not what I'm doing. I need a righteousness that is guided by walking with Jesus. So when I drive home from from wherever I'm coming from, and all the stress of the world is in my life, and all the selfishness has crept in. When I walk through my front door, I don't go, okay, well, let me hear what the law is going to be about how to be a good husband. None of that is in there. I'm lost if I'm stuck with my religion, friends. What I need is a Savior who will walk with me and care for me and change my heart and transform my impatience and heal, listen, no, listen, and heal me from the deep wounds that came from my parents' marriage and from my sadness. And from, do you hear what I'm saying? I need a God who will rescue me from me. And then I walk in and his spirit whispers to me about how to love and care for her. That's what righteousness is. It's so far beyond religion. It's a Savior who walks with us and calls us. And us, out of this gratitude and love for a God who has given us right standing, where we say, I'm going to be your man, God. Oh, God, I want to be your man. I want to be your man in this relationship and in this day and in this appointment and in this hour. I want to have your faith and your hope. I want to contend for people with your power and with your conviction. I want to be your man, God. That's righteous. And I'll tell you what, you look at my life, there's a whole bunch of that, so praise God, I thank God for what he's done in my life. There's also a whole bunch of morals that I'm still not succeeding in, okay? That's literally almost beside the point. That's not an excuse. Out of my love for Christ, I want nothing to dishonor him. But righteousness is acquired by receiving him, and it's acquired by walking with him. And Jesus goes, that goes way beyond religious people. And the kingdom of God then comes, and you're in it, and you're living. Why? Because he's king. He's my king, and I'm submitted to him in all things. Have you, two things, and I'm done. In conclusion. Righteous, true righteousness goes beyond the Pharisees. It's acquired by receiving Jesus. Have you received Jesus? Have you been born again? Have you been hanging around and not yet said, you're my king. 
and I need your righteousness to be placed over me. I need your forgiveness. I need a right standing with you that I cannot accomplish on my own. I cannot be the ultra marathoner of religious people. My life is a mess. And so I need your grace and your forgiveness and your gift of righteousness, right standing. Have you done that? Do you hear us every few weeks asking you this? Many of us have done it 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Some of us in the last few months have been like, oh, I think that's me. I think that's kind of me. We want to keep giving you the moment to say, I don't think I've done that. But as you explain it today, Jeff, I sense God's on me. That's what I want. Have you said yes to his righteousness, his right standing being given to you? If you haven't, I implore you today, that's the answer. Receive his gift. Even right where you're sitting, just go, God, thank you. I receive that gift. I want to be a Christian. If you haven't done it, that's the next step of your spiritual journey. And if you have, awesome. And if you just did, we'd love to hear about it. I want to help you keep growing. Secondly, then, regarding a right living Have you settled the issue that you're not a religionist, but that you walk with the king? And that your day-to-day, in facing all the stuff that you face, the way that you process world events, to the stuff going on in your home, to the stuff going on in your heart, that you process those as a follower of the king who will guide you into righteousness, guide you into his way of living through it, of reacting to it, of responding in obedience? Have you resolved that you will live as a follower of the king, not a religious person? They're two totally different things. And Jesus said, if you're gonna be religious, you won't get into the kingdom. It's not for religious people. Your righteousness comes by receiving me and by walking with me. Will you walk with him, church? Many of you have received Christ somewhere along the line. It was a camp in 1974. It was in Sunday school in 1948. Al Wade, I don't know. It was still been... But have you made the decision that you will walk with him and be his person living rightly in response to the king? And even as I let you go this morning, what is one thing you can do this week? One thing you can do this week that will enhance your walking with Jesus. One thing you would do this week that would enhance your walking with Jesus is it that you do not open your word anymore, the word. You say, ah, I've heard a bunch of good preaching, that's it. Is it that you get up 10 minutes early and even in obedience just get on your knees as a physical posture and say, God, lead me to right living today in all that I face and list those things. Help me, God, in this. Help me, God, in that. Help me, God, in that. I will follow you. There you go. I just gave you how to have a quiet time. That was like 15 words. Help me, God, in this. Help me, God, in this. Help me, God, in that. I will follow you. What's one thing you can do to enhance your walk with God?